Look, I'm excited this morning to be here to share the Word of God. Is anyone ready for getting into the Word this morning? Fantastic. Well, we're going to continue and finish our series. We've been looking at the last couple of weekends, we've been looking at succeeding on God's team. And the first weekend, two weeks ago, we had Kevin Bailey talking about uh, the soldier. And then last weekend, of course, we had uh, Pastor Stewart and Zed up here talking about the athlete. And so part three today is talking about the hardworking farmer. And if you've got your Bibles, how about we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Excellent. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. I heard recently um, about the scarecrow who won a Nobel Peace Prize. He, uh, he was outstanding in his field. And there's the second wave. Sorry, that's terrible. I know. I've been trying to just channel my inner Pastor Rob. I was reading during the week in the, in the newspaper, there was a story about a farmer who lost his favorite cow. And uh, you know what he did to find her? He, uh, he tracked her down. It's getting, it's getting worse, isn't it, Stuart? I'm sorry, please forgive me, it's hot. I'm going crazy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete... He does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And that's the verse we're going to concentrate on today. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, I am part of Gen Y. I'm a Gen Yer, Generation Y. And some of us here today, if you're born between the years of, it's around about early 80s to mid to late 90s, you too are part of this amazing generation called Gen Y. And our generation, my generation, over the years has been called certain things or maybe given labels. And one of the labels that, that my generation has been given is people have called us a soft generation. And I was reading an article during the week uh, from Elite Daily Magazine, and for all the young adults here, so if you are a Gen Yer, have a listen to this, because I believe that some of this is it's cutting, but it's true, but I believe that we can make a change in our culture, and it starts right here at Bayside. See, this, this uh, article says this. This is a Gen Yer talking about his own generation, my generation. He says, we are the most babied generation in history. And it is apparent in both our work ethic and our outlook on life. We expect things to be hand-delivered to us, and we love attention and praise for just doing what is required of us. We're spoon-fed by our parents. We don't take constructive criticism well. We feel a sense of entitlement as if the world owes us something. We look for the easy way out, and we wait until the last minute to get things done or make a decision. Now, parents of Gen Wires, you're probably saying, here, here. <laughs> but it's not a great 
statement for my generation, but sadly, I think what it says is largely true. I was talking recently to a guy who owns his own landscape gardening business, and I was talking to him and he was sharing with me some of the the struggles or the hardships that he found in, in running his own business as a landscape gardener. And he said, you know what, the hardest thing for me at the moment is to find an apprentice who stays for any longer than two or three weeks. You see, he said, it's easy to find an apprentice who put their hand up and say, yep, I want to start working and learning how to become a landscape gardener. But he says within one, two, three at the most weeks, they're out the back door. Why? Because it's too hard a work for them to take on. Their work ethic is not strong enough to stick at it for any longer than a few weeks. But you see, I believe that to succeed on God's team, we as Christians are called to work hard in all areas of our life. You see, it takes hard work to run your own business, like this guy was telling me about. And for those of you who do have your own business, it takes hard work to run that thing. It it actually takes hard work to stay focused enough to stay in uni and rather than drop out, (laughs) actually complete the uni course. It It takes hard work to stay focused at uni. It takes hard work to save enough money for your first home deposit. I'm sure parents will agree that it takes hard work to raise your kids. And it also takes hard work to live a life of faith. And I really believe that we as Christians are not immune to hard work. In fact, I believe it's the opposite way around. I think that we are actually called to hard work. And I love what Pastor Stuart and Sonia were talking about just a moment ago with contributing up here. What better way to get stuck into some hard work than get your hands dirty, so to speak, right here in our church here at Bayside and sign up for amazing ministry here and get working hard for our church and the kingdom of God. The book of Proverbs, an amazing book of the Bible, and it contains many verses about hard work. And King Solomon, who writes the book, he he often compares the work ethic from an ant to that of a sluggard or a sloth. Now, I'd like to just read, we won't have time to go into too many verses today because there's a lot in Proverbs, but I just want to read a passage of Scripture for you, and it's out of Proverbs chapter 6 and verses 6 to 11, and I'm going to be reading it from the Message Bible, and I believe we've got it on the multimedia, so Melanie, if you don't mind, we don't have it? Okay, we don't have it, you're going to have to listen up. So it's called A Lesson from the Ant, and verse 6 says, You lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer, it stores up food. At harvest, it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back. Take it easy. But do you know what comes next? This, you can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. Tell us what you really think, King Solomon. It's hard words, but it's true. He goes on to say in in Proverbs 14 and verse 23, he says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. 
And in chapter 20 and verse 4, again from the Message Bible, he says, A farmer too lazy to plant in the spring has nothing to harvest in the fall. You see, farmers know what it's like to, to work hard. They know what hard work is all about. Now, the closest thing in my family, that, uh, well, the closest person we have got to a farmer is my grandpa. And uh, I've got a huge amount of respect for my grandpa. He's a man of God. He's uh, brought his whole family up in the way of the Lord, and I'm so uh, respectful of that. But you see, Grandpa, he's still alive today, but when he was much younger, he used to work in a market garden. He used to own a market garden, uh, so he grew vegetables for a living. And you see, Grandpa knew what it took to work hard. And I was talking to him during the week, and he said, you know what, I had to work hard because if I didn't complete the jobs, that the family would suffer. You see, it was a family business, and if Grandpa wasn't growing crops and selling them off at the market, there was no income coming back to the family, and the family would suffer because of that. And he told me stories during the week of how hard he worked in the fields, rain, hail, or shine. You think about it on a day like today, out in the fields, a hot northerly wind blowing through, stinking hot, exhausted out in the field, but yet Grandpa was out there plowing and sowing and tending and weeding and reaping out in the fields. He told me a story about how hard it was sometimes through winter as well. Think about how cold it is early on in the morning and Grandpa would be out there. He said sometimes when the frosts would come and settle on the earth and he'd be out there with his bare hands tending the, the, the ground. And uh, he, was, he was working incredibly hard. Grandpa owned the uh, market garden up, uh, up near Hyatt. For any of those who, who live up around Hyatt, I don't know, how do you live up there around Hyatt area? He had 30 acres around that just off Hyatt Road up there. And actually, Hattie, as a side note, if you know why your garden, did your garden grow well? Can you grow good stuff in your garden? There you go. You can thank my grandpa for that because he worked on the soil <laughs> years before you even came around. So there you go. But um, one story grandpa told me, he said, you know what? The hardest times were market days market days. Why? Because he said we had to start work in the field at 3 a.m. every market day. Now that's not getting up at 3 a.m. That's starting work out in the field at 3 a.m. You see they had to get all the crops out from the fields back to the storeroom and then loaded onto the trucks so that they could get into the city by 6 a.m. for the market in the city. So market days were hard. Now I'm guessing if we didn't have the scriptures, have we got any photos? We've got photos, fantastic. If we can just pop the first photo up. Now, it's a little bit hard to see. Excuse that it's an old photo, but this is um, Grandpa and a couple of the workers on the, on the farm here. Uh, this beautiful old horse, a Clydesdale horse here, this was called Diamond. Now, Grandpa speaks very fondly of this horse. They, uh, they called him Diamond because he had a beautiful white diamond down, down his nose. But you see what Diamond would do, you can kind of see there he's, he's carrying a cart behind him, and I think there's onions on the back of that. So Diamond would go out early in the morning, out to the field, and the men would load up the cart and bring that back to the store sheds and then load the trucks ready for market. If we can go to the next, uh, next picture. So this is them having loaded up the truck. Again, a little bit hard to see, but you've got, I think it's beetroots up the front of the truck and some uh, white onions down the back of the truck as well. And a beautiful old Morris 1936 uh, truck. If we go to the next one. And this one is cauliflowers. Now, I asked Grandpa about this one. I said, how many 
cauliflowers could you actually fit on this truck before it went to market? And it was quite interesting. He said, look, it depended on how large they were, obviously, as to how many you could fit in the truck. And he said the way they used to farm was a lot by the moon. Now, this interested me. He said, you know, the moon has got so much power, so much pull, that it controls the tides. Yeah, the tides go in and out by the control of the moon. So he said if they could harvest around a full moon when the moon was at its strongest, it meant the crops grew a lot larger than they would if it was like a half moon or, or the start of the moon cycle. So it was really interesting that they used to work often by where the moon was in the cycle. But he said... In this truck, they could fit around eight to 900 cauliflowers and then take that into the city for market days. And, and I say, Grandpa, but there's no, you've, you've stacked it high and there's no ropes or tarps or anything like that. When you drive off, don't the cauliflowers just all fall off onto the road behind you? And he said they, they got it down to like a science, almost an art, where they could pack in the crops so tightly that he said it was almost like brickwork to a house. He said those things do not move an inch when they're driving down the road. So there's your cauliflower truck. And then I think we've got one more photo. Oh, and that's just a photo of coming back from the market. They bought some hay to, um, to fertilize the ground. So there you go. That just gives you a little idea of what my grandpa was doing through the 1940s and, and 1950s just up the road in Hyatt. And as I said, I was talking to Grandpa during the week about it, and he said something quite profound, and I, I wrote it down. He said to me, working on the land was hard, but it brought a person closer to God, the creator and the provider, and was very rewarding contributing to God's wonderful harvest and plan. Now, the interesting thing about my grandpa and, and other farmers is that when Grandpa was out in the fields, 3 a.m., working hard, he was working hard with no one around. He was working hard in the unseen. A lot of work that farmers do is unseen. So it got me thinking about this question that I've asked myself, and I'd like you guys to ask yourself today. How hard are we working in the unseen aspects of our life? It's a good question to think about. If you've got your Bibles still open, how about we turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we pick it up here partway through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus references three unseen aspects of our lives. The first one being giving to the needy. The second aspect being our unseen prayer life, and the third one being our fasting life. So we're just going to learn something from what Jesus is saying here. So Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick it up from verse 1. He says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give, notice it says when, not if, <laughs> So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Jesus goes on to talking about our unseen prayer life. Verse 5 and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let's just skip down to verse 16, where Jesus talks about fasting. He says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, do your hair, make yourself look presentable, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How hard are we working at the unseen aspects in our lives? How's our prayer life? How's our fasting life? How's our giving life? It's all unseen. And can I encourage you, in a couple of weeks' time here at Bayside, we're going to be launching our 40 days of prayer and fasting on Wednesday, the 5th of March. And we're going to kick it off with a fantastic prayer party right here at Frankston as well as our Cheltenham campus. And it's going to be a night to come together to celebrate and to really launch this prayer and fasting on the right foot. So can I encourage you, get involved, get amongst it, and really work on these unseen aspects of, of our lives. I kind of see it like this, and go with me this morning. It's, I believe as Christians that we are called to build an iceberg life rather than a skyscraper life. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at an iceberg, roughly 80% of the iceberg is unseen under the water. You can't see it. And only 20% on top that is seen. Compare that to a skyscraper where you've got roughly about 20 to 30% under the ground, the foundations that you can't see under the ground, and roughly 80% that you do see above ground. Now, I believe that Jesus built an iceberg life. Think about it. Jesus spent his first 30 years in anonymity and only three years in the public eye. But just think about how much Jesus changed the entire world in those, those three years. Now, Jesus, the same as us, went through temptations in life. He went through trials and trials and trials. But what I really believe is that what was revealed through those trials was more about his 80% unseen than the 20% that is seen. You see, the unseen, like we've talking about, spoken about, is about our prayer life. It's about our fasting. But it goes a lot deeper than that. It's about our character. Your character is something that you cannot see, yet through trials it's revealed what your character is. It's, your unseen life is about your integrity. Huh. Again, through trials you can't see it until it's revealed through a trial. And it's also about our, our thought life and many other things. The unseen aspects of our lives are so important. And what Jesus was able to do, I believe we can implement in our lives as well, that when we do go through hardships and we do go through trials in life, that we've got this depth unseen in our lives. Our character is strong, is planted in God. Our integrity is strong, is planted in God. Like an iceberg, we've got so much more underneath to draw from than we need, when we need it than just what's on top. You see, skyscrapers are all show. <laughs> They're all on top. I pray that as Christians, we're not just on show on top, that we've actually got the foundation underneath to sustain it. So be like the farmer 
working hard, unseen, out in the field, in all areas of our lives. Now, Paul, in his second letter to the church of Thessalonica, reminded the church when I think it was himself, Silas, and Timothy came to visit them, that they too worked hard. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. And this is the rule that Paul said. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. <laughs> Who doesn't love eating? In fact, many of you, I'm guessing, are wanting to eat right now. And you're kind of saying, Jacob, can we get this moving on a little bit quicker? Because I'm hungry. I'm ready for lunch. I love eating. But that is what our verse, verse 6, that we've been looking at is all about. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. In other words, the hardworking farmer gets to eat first. I like that. Now, many of us here, in fact, probably most of us, don't own farms. But I do know that there's some of us here today that, that love a good day's work out in your veggie patch, or maybe even just working hard out in your garden. And what a great satisfaction you get and a great reward you get. At the end of the day, you've been working hard, slaving away outside, and maybe you've dug up some of your own potatoes. And you take these inside and you start to cook them up and in the oven they're going this beautiful crispy golden brown and then you put a bit of melted butter through the spuds and then whilst they're cooking you, you get some lemons freshly off the tree, squeeze them up, make some homemade lemonade. Am I making you hungry now? And then at the end of the day you, you, you sit back after a hard day's work and you're the first to enjoy the harvest of your hard work. There's nothing like it. Our um, Year 12 students of last year, 2013, uh, they did such an amazing job as a group of, of students. They worked so hard. They know what it was to work hard for a whole year. And because of their hard work, they were the first to receive a great harvest. And that is that they were able to get into their first round uni placements for this year. You see, they worked hard and there was a kickback of blessing into their own lives from their hard work. And I'll finish with this. I believe that to succeed on God's team, we are called to work hard in our walk with God and in all aspects of our life. Working on the iceberg aspects, the unseen aspects of our lives. And if we do that, we too will receive a great reward from our Heavenly Father in this life, but also in the life to come. So church, can I encourage us? Let's be like the farmer working hard in all aspects of our lives, especially the unseen, and then be ready to receive the blessings of the harvest when it comes. Amen? Amen. How about we pray? Father, we just thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in your word today. And Lord, I thank you that you have really highlighted to us that you want us to take on this amazing attribute, and that is hard work like a farmer. Father, I pray that you strengthen us in these unseen areas of our lives. Lord, I, I pray for help with our prayer life, our fasting life. But more than that, Lord, I pray that you strengthen our character and our integrity and allow you to be a true foundation right at the center of our lives. So Lord, I pray that we not just be hearers of your word today, but also doers as we apply this principle to our lives in Jesus' name. And just whilst every head is still bowed and eye closed, just want to give opportunity for 
Anyone here? I know a lot of you here today. I don't know everyone. But if you're saying, you know, that's all good, but I actually don't have a relationship with God. I've heard about God. I've heard about Jesus. But something's stirring on the inside of you today. And you say, you know what? Today is the day. I want to make Jesus my Savior and Lord of my life. I want to start this incredible journey, this incredible relationship with God. I'm not going to draw this out, but if that is you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, just by quickly slipping up your hand and putting your hand straight back down again. If you want to start this journey with God today, now's your chance. Just pop your hand up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you today for your word. Thank you. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, I pray that you will strengthen us, be with us in everything we do this week. And Lord, I pray that you allow us to work hard for you and work hard in these unseen aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Fantastic. Well, thank you. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Stuart.